Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. It's a new month. Yeah. And we had this name way back in December when we did uh, a bunch of ghosty movies. I'm like, oh man, we should have called this Spectember. Right? So guess what? Let's, let's put this in the back, in the back of uh, our minds and save it for when it hits September again. And then we'll do it. Then we'll call it Spectember. And this is what we're doing. It's Spectember. It certainly uh. is. And we're starting off with one that we've been, fuck, dude. I think we've been talking about this one. Oh, yeah, man. I've only wanted to talk about this movie since we started. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's yeah. a movie that I, I fucking love this movie. Um, I love everything about this movie. And it's yep. funny because watching this movie 20-some years after, I mean, I've seen this movie a lot. But right. watching it, it never, uh, it doesn't feel dated. Like, when I look at the sets and the costumes the world that's created is it's a very timeless world. Like I would expect if I rolled into that neighborhood in Wicker Park, it would look like that today. And what, what is this movie anyway? We are talking about 1999's Stir of Echoes from David Kep, who uh, is did an adaptation of the Richard Matheson novel from 1958. Yeah, right. That's what's so crazy about it. It's fast forward to present time in 1999 when they were, when they did the whole movie. So it's not period movie at all. I mean, it's a period movie now. <laughs> well, it is like- now. Sure. I mean, you know, but what I was saying, you know, my, in my pre fucking show rant there was, uh, but it doesn't feel, it's funny, man. It feels, this movie feels timeless. It doesn't like when I watch no. like Poltergeist, it's obviously of 1982. Right. But when I watch this, I, I like I said, I mean, I feel like if we had rolled into Wicker Park, uh, we we could meet uh, Tom and Maggie and, you know, the whole neighborhood. And it would be very much the same. And like the last time I was in Chicago, which was in 2018, um, it really still looks like this. Right. <laughs> and right. people still look like this. They still dress like this. And, right. You know, it's very working class and blue collar. And it, it really, they stuck the landing, as they say, um, right. you know, with the way that, you know, they, they pulled this off. And, and it's got a lot of faces in there that we all recognize beyond the lead. That's yeah. Kevin Bacon. One of the ones that kind of stood out for me, and I'm always reminded about until I get to this, is somebody that you worked with, and that's Jennifer Morrison. Dude, when I first worked on the house, when I saw her, I kind of freaked out because I had never, I hadn't seen her in anything since Sturvecas, and she was immediately recognizable. <laughs> and I was like, holy right. shit, you're the girl from Sturvecas. Yeah. And I always forget that it's her until I watch the movie again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right? right. Yeah. Because she's so young and, she, and she's, and it's, it's funny because she's so unrecognizable, you know, from, uh, from what we know on House and uh, Enchanted. Was that the, was, is that the other show? Uh, no, what is it called? Ever After? Once Upon a Time? There you go. It's funny because, again, until you're watching the movie and then mm-hmm. there she is. Like when I think of Stir Echoes, there's a whole bunch of people I think of before her. And it's funny because she is very integral to this movie. Right. And seeing her in this is, and she's what it's well played. And, and 
unlike uh, movies of the time, they're dealing uh, movies of, of that and around that window of time dealing with sexual assault and all that kind of stuff is wasn't uncommon. But again, reflecting back on the fact that Matheson wrote this thing in 1958, right, dude, that's I mean, but I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that uh, that Richard Matheson wrote stuff that was yeah. I mean, also yeah, he was you know he wasn't afraid to push the envelope. You know what's weird is the book actually is set in Southern California during the whole like NASA like so you know it all, it all takes place around the whole like space chase like you know the the bill. I mean. Like 1958, um, NASA, you know, the little, I think I want to say Lancaster is where they're shooting for because they're talking about in the book anyway, it's all about the, the little, the housing, all the area, you know, that they built out there when we were all in the space program in the late fifties, early sixties. Right. So I only, yeah, I mean, if you haven't read the book, um, yeah, it's, it's a trip. And it's not a long book too. It's pretty short. So like, like, it doesn't click over 200 pages. And the copy that I have of it has a cover that is, you know, very minimalist kind of cover. It's the one, if you look at the Wikipedia, that's the one that I have. It, that is very reminiscent of the kind of homes that were being built around that time up in Antelope Valley. So it does make a lot of sense that, that it sells that idea that that's where they were at. Wouldn't get no surprise aerospace would continue their growth and, and uh, out there with Lockheed and all, all the other uh, aerospace folks. But relocating it to... Chicago causes a lot of familiarity with another movie that came out that year, but we're that's where our comparison is stops. We're not going to talk about it more. I just want to at least just recognize that it gets lumped in with another movie in this. And as much as you know, we love this, the other movie, this kicks its ass in so many ways. Yeah, like man. you noted, it doesn't feel locked in to 1999 at all. Nope. And the cast is much more expansive too than what the right. other one was. Yes, there's a, there's a lot more going on, and this right. is just a to me this is a multi layered. I mean, there's there's a lot of going on. There's a lot of characters in and out of this movie, you know. And the pace of this movie is, um, you know, the pace is different as as well. Which oh yeah, but, but the, the rest of the cast. Let's just throw the names out. Catherine Irby, who this was probably her first. I mean, she'd done a bunch of like played kids and stuff earlier, and I think she was in. Uh, Kiss of Death. But I mean, this is the movie that kind of like put her on the map for me, like made me aware of her. I mean, I, I had seen her in things before, but I was like, holy shit, she's really right. good, man. Right. Cause she did criminal intent doesn't hit until the now two years about after this. Right. And then when, when playing um, Alex Eames on that and she was tremendous on that. It was funny when you get fast forward to law and order, when she get to that point, I'm like, Hey, is that, and became that right. thing. Cause I, if we talked about before, I'm, I never got into Oz until much later so I didn't know her from that in her limited time on that, you know, a reoccurring character on that. She's fantastic in this. Yeah. Really just, she is right there, if not even at times surpassing Kevin Bacon. Like she, she holds her own really well in dude, all their scenes together. Everybody in this movie across the board in their scene. I mean, and dude, it's Bacon's movie. And I want to say this is probably my favorite Bacon role. And, and I, I dude, you know how great I think he is in JFK and everything else. But he is so good in this movie as Tom. Uh, he's a linesman uh, for the county. <laughs> <laughs> right. But everybody in this movie, when they're on screen with him, is elevated. And I don't know if it's elevated by him or because he was by far the biggest star in this movie. Oh, yeah. At the time. I mean, still, I mean, honestly, if I go back through the cast and 90% of the world is going to only know Kevin Bacon. 
right? right? Like when you look at it, but uh, Catherine Irby is great. Um, as yeah. is Ileana Douglas as her sister. And when is she not wonderful? Yeah, no, no <laughs> believe me, dude. You don't have to say, I, I love her, dude. I mean, I'm, dude, I, I, when I was watching this, it made me want to watch Dummy for some reason. And I really wanted to watch Action. <laughs> yeah. That's what maybe would have Yes. So, right? Backbeat as well. Yeah. Right. And uh, Grace in My Heart, which is another fantastic movie that she's in. Yeah. She's great. Uh, Kevin Dunn is at his sort of sleazy best oh. in this. You know, you don't just, didn't you just want to punch Kevin Dunn in the face? Right. But not as much as I wanted to punch Connor O'Farrell in the face. Yeah. And what, remember <laughs> we were talking about it, like we were, we were tweeting, we were texting each other and I'm like going, do Connor. <laughs> right. I, oh, he's such a scumbag. Yeah. And like, the teenage kids are great in this movie. Yeah. Um, but man, let's just talk for a moment and I don't want to get into comparisons with, uh, you know, the other film and, but man, Zachary David Cope, dude. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it doesn't even feel like this kid's acting, dude. I, I feel like he was, you know, he was seeing the real thing and he was right. just sort of, they just were lucky enough to have the camera landed on him, dude. Okay. I got to say something about, cause he's the first character you see in the entire movie. And I yeah. love, I love the choice and I don't, you don't see this enough. I really wish we get this more these days. Cause it's always about selling the, you know, the face in order of appearance credit during the, the closing crawl. And I, I find that it's, again, he's the first person that age to have any performer right. that, of that age Dude. looking right down the pipe like he does. Yep. Uh, they're, they're, they, yeah. they, they looked like 60 kids before him, like yeah. 60 local Chicago kids. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the cast members found him in New York and they brought him in and they, they knew he was the kid. I, I just know this because I've... We'll get into the imprint uh, of it all yeah. in a bit, but <laughs> I mean, dude, he is so fantastic. And this dude, I have, I mean, him and the, he even looks like he could be their kid. Like the two of them, they, yes. they, I, I, they look, and he looks very much like Kevin Bacon, the scenes that they have together, you know, like when they're on the couch together, when they're, when they're outside digging the whole man, that whole sequence is so crazy, dude. All I of mean, it. Uh, you know, and, and then her, you know, sort of being pushed to the outside and, Really, it's funny. This is a, a ghost story more than anything. I mean, it's funny if you, if when you're watching it, there's not really very many gross out effects. There's not a lot of special effects in this movie. And no. the ones that are in here are all practical. Right. You know, they really took the word on the page and, you know, let the story unfold the way, and you know, it, it was actually like, you know, it, it felt more like a novel. Like I, I felt like I was getting the novel experience, like reading, you know, I right. wasn't being, it wasn't, they weren't selling it to me with special effects and CGI, which was, you know, all the fucking rage at the time. I mean, they kind of did everything in camera, dude. Like that whole theater bit, like during right. the hypnosis session, Damn. fuck, it's so crazy. When they're, okay, so Again, when you see, by the way, I want to go back to Conor O'Farrell for a moment. Yes. When they're having the block party. And I just like, as soon as you see him, I'm like, I'm like you fucking piece of shit. Because <laughs> I know, I've seen, we both know what happens in the movie. So I'm already like, I'm already like going, you watch every little thing he does to see if there's a tell. Same thing right. with, 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 Dunn. with Dunn. And you're just waiting for him to have a tell of some kind. But there's nothing there. But then at the end of the night, when they're they're having their um, their little seance kind of hypnotism moment, when they're all they're drunk and they're fucking, yeah. they, they, it's turning into the parlor game. You know the yeah, the way they handle that whole thing, it's just so gold because you're you really are Tom at that point. You're Tom, yeah. and you come out of it. You're like, what the fuck just happened? I mean. 
and you don't and for a bit you don't know if I'm, they're fucking with you or what right but, i mean it, the, this the whole sequence the way the sequence unfolds the way her cadence i mean yeah you know she you know it's funny because if you had you know again i'll get to the imprint of it all but um the prep that these guys did for you know to be hypnotized to you know to you know kep, kep and her went to a hypnotist and they went and then she went back again yeah you know it, it's just it's obviously everybody did their you know they, they did the study of it it didn't come off hokey because you know like for most of our lives i'm going to say hypnotism was like a something that you we'd see get people get hypnotized on the tonight show and it was funny right. and it was goofy and they'd make you cluck like a chicken or bark like a dog some stupid shit right, right. like it wasn't like this like it's a total it, novelty thing right it, it, right it was for entertainment only but um you know this whole i mean that sequence is so amazing and and, and, the, and to know how they actually did all that stuff it's all practical, man. There's no, there's no visual effects. I mean, they, they erased some things, but I mean, you know, that's bacon up there in that chair on a yeah. crane, you know, <laughs> floating above the, in the theater, floating right. at the screen. Yeah. I mean, it still gives me chills when I watch it. It really is. And you're, I wanted to kind of go back to what you were saying talking about how it feels like the novel. And this is one of those few times that, that Richard Matheson gave a thumbs up to an adaptation that was done. Apparently he was a fan of David Kep's Trigger Effect, which is his directorial debut. And, you know, he'd written so much stuff before doing Jurassic Park and a bunch of other stuff for Spielberg and, and some other smaller movies, uh, other uh, popcorn movies for uh, that you would recognize. But I really find that he, this is just a reminder of that, that his work is so special that he automatically gets lumped in with that guy. Oh, oh, he's just the gun for hire kind of thing for those big studio movies. Technically, it's a studio movie, but... I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's, it, it, is, it, it isn't, but it feels like it still feels as an indie vibe because of how kept... It, we talked about that recently with some other movies where it's super efficient. The guy knows what he's doing. Again, it's, it's one of those writer-director things. They, they don't overdo. They, they get exactly what they need. Well, they were also given a lot of freedom to, uh, you know, to make the movie they wanted without a lot of studio involvement. Because Artisan wasn't really like, it wasn't like Touchstone or Disney or, you know, where you have 16 executives giving you a bunch of notes and, well, we got to have this shot. Or, you know, they really kind of left them alone and let them make the movie that they are making. And I, I think that's, you know... That's the one thing Artisan did right on this movie. <laughs> right. And that projection scene too, right? That that whole the whole hypnotism moment where that's very much how it is in the book. Oh dude, it's right off the page. Right. If you read if you read it in the book and you read and you listen to what she's saying, it's literally or if you look in the script, it's literally right from the page of the novel to the page of the script out of her mouth. And that's what makes it so cool. And it feels so different than anything you've ever seen before because every time he's been guilty of it, doing adaptations, kept as where it's, he's having to deal with a shit ton of notes, but who are he going to get his notes right. from on this, you know? <laughs> right. Well, exactly. I mean, can you imagine the notes he must have gotten adapting Crichton's Jurassic Park? Right. Good God. <laughs> For days. I mean, that's something about this. His adaptation is like, and he has those key moments that are so integral to the story that's being told. And, and, and it, you don't, you, he's not being loyal to the book 
just for the sake of, of being loyal, it, it really sells something you've never seen before that it really makes you uneasy. Even though I've seen it before, it's still fucking disturbing and incredibly effective. Yeah. Again, there are things in this movie that we have seen, but there's a lot of things that we have, you know, they, they, they did some really smart things. I mean, I feel like, dude, like you totally buy the whole block party. I mean, I, look, I feel like all those people live there. I felt like they're all neighbors. I love the woman who plays Dunn's wife. She's fantastic. When she says, yeah. why don't you just lick them when they walk by? That is such a perfect line to live through yeah. and such a perfect Dude, I mean, look at him. He's, uh, but they are, we all know those people. I mean, I feel like yeah. that's one of the things that this movie, you know, and, and it, to Kep's credit, he's the one who moved to Chicago because he is from a small town in Wisconsin, but his mother, his family had grown up in Chicago in that area. And so that's why they relocated it because it's a world he knew. Um, and he knew it well because, I mean, and, you know, they, there's, there's not a, there's not a misstep in this movie as far as I can no. tell. Um, there's nothing that I think rings hollow, you know, that doesn't ring true. Again, that, that, that relocating to, to Chicago and then why that, that block party sells so authentically is because, you know, Don and, uh, Lucia Struess, who plays Kevin Dunn's wife in it, they're, that's where they're from. Jennifer Morrison is from Chicago, so it's all yeah. it all. That's why it feels so real, um, right? And it, dude, is it, Kevin Dunn, even if he's not from Chicago, he's the most Chicago person I can think of outside of Jim Belushi. Yeah, he's one hundred percent from <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, he was born and raised for sure. I think one of the reasons why this movie is so good is like, well, again, Kevin Bacon. At his best, his characters are always everyday men, yeah, like he is absolutely. here. You know, being a blue collar worker, like he is in this, you know, guy a little bit, you know, down on his. I don't say down on his luck, but maybe not as far. Right. Now, as far as reached the potential that he, or you know, he didn't right. hit the heights. That little speech he has with his with her is, is a very honest moment, which I yeah, in the kitchen, right? Yeah, yeah. And I love the opening of the movie too, showing we don't even know who Tom is yet. Right. right, and we're watching Jake talk to to Samantha, and we don't even know who he's talking to. He's just looking down the pipe, talking to us. And right. Kevin Bacon's in the background with his acoustic guitar, sitting on the bed playing. Now that's fun too, if you guys are familiar with the fact yep. that that Kevin has a has a band called the Bacon Brothers with his brother. And you think he's a good, you think he's a musician until you find right. out that he's not. And so you, it's, it's, I love that, that, that duality that he's got there, like the unfulfilled dreams. Yeah. Sometimes in some movies, it's a little heavy handed to right. expose that the way they do in dialogue. Dude, it was very subtle, but it, it works really well here because effective exposition is what they do right there and say, I wish that was that whole scene. Like you said, in the kitchen is so fucking good. Yeah, they don't have to say it because you're seeing it. And every everybody feels what Kevin Bacon feels. And everybody equally can feel what Maggie's feeling too. Yeah. Yeah, because her response too right away is like almost like, are you not happy with where we're at right now? Dude, her response to him, I didn't, ma- I, I, I married you because your ass looked good in jeans. Yes. I mean, what? A, I mean, that's, that's the answer you want to hear if you're him. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's such a great... Uh, I believed the two of them. Like I literally, I was like, man, yeah. this is maybe one of the best movie couples ever. 
right? Yeah. And even uh, when Douglas says that to that, when she says, look, I know he's got his faults and everything, but you guys are the best couple I know. She ain't lying because, I mean, no. <laughs> you know, watching the two of them together, the back and forth, the, you know, when, when she said, when he doesn't go with them at the end of the movie, when her grandmother right. dies and just that whole, I mean, dude, all of it is so real and it's so like, right. you know, and if you, you know, you've been there, done that kind of thing, you right. know, and it's like, my favorite bit with the guitar dude is when he's trying to figure out the song and yes. Jake takes his fingers <laughs> and shows him that and shows him, yeah, it's so dude, good. I mean, it's so good. And the kid is so good and so natural. I mean, like, yeah. good Lord, man, I can't believe he never did anything. I mean, he's done nothing yeah. else. Right. Yeah. You know, his parents must've been, his parents were smart. <laughs> you know, Joe was sitting here and he goes, he's like, little kid, how do you know where to do it? And I said, Oh, the, like, we got the reverse by the, they probably put something on the fingerboard so you couldn't see it. Sure. So he knew where to drag Kevin Bacon's fingers to. He's like, oh, that makes sense. Speaking of music and the needle drops in this, fuck off. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you got a great James Newton Howard uh, score, excuse me, in this. It's fantastic. But yep. you got, I mean, speaking of the time, this may be the one time maybe the songs are a little bit locked into yeah, the 90s. I was thinking the same, dude, the gob cover of Paint of Black. Yeah. If yeah. I could have the Stones version, I'd take it. Right. And I and again, again this is a $12 million movie. <laughs> That's a they big probably couldn't. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. Probably, they probably couldn't afford um, to use the Stones version. But that being said. Last week, when, well, just a handful of days ago, you had sent me, uh, or maybe you posted it on Instagram, but but pose hello, and I'm like going, oh, you oh, fucker. Yeah. I, I knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, well, look, dude, I mean, is that not the greatest fucking, like, I love it over there in Crawl. It's yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah, Beth Orton on here, too, and Steve Wynn. Like, it's like, it's really fantastic. Dishwalla, can, again, speaking yeah. of 90s. It's very, but look, uh, all those bands, it's, again, it's one of those, we talk about this, you know, when we talk about 90s movies, a lot of these 90s movies, the soundtracks, um, you were trying to get on a soundtrack. It wasn't like right. they're looking to, you know, throw Boston's more than feeling or, you know, or, or, or do the classic rock noodle drop that, you know, that's all we get now. We were getting right. real bands doing songs, you know, that were written either for the movie or they just worked in the movie and, you know, and the, you, you took a little bit more for your music supervisor to figure that out then, yeah. to, you know, and then to come in with a list and be like, I want these 10 songs. Yeah. These 10. <laughs> just these 10. Uh, dude, there's some really fun homages in this movie to other movies. Uh, I really love Neil the cop who is yep. obviously Kevin Crowder's character right. from The Shining. Right. But that whole bit is is fantastic dude like when you see when you know the her uh katie irby and 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 jake when they're they're out mother and sunning right and they're they're down the sidewalk and there's you know uh, all that is i mean it just all feels real and it's believable and people are gonna automatically think of the shining when they see yeah, that well of course how how far how many decades right. does that precursor sure the shining novel being written yeah. And it's, it's almost, I, and it's funny, right away, instead of, I guess, you know, people are going to like think of, oh, this is the shinning, like the whole Simpsons goof on the shining, but it's very much like that. But that exchange between Neil and Jake in the cemetery yeah. is so fucking good, dude. Yep. It's just as good as anything in the shining between Scatman and the kid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. If not so, if, if not more so, it's very short. 
in in very uh I, I'm just it's just striking. And then later on when when Maggie goes to see Neil at that uh little yes. get together thing that, that was people so who are cool. Receivers. Receivers, yeah. That would that's another thing that makes it extra special um, when you're comparing it to other things of uh, where, where this movie gets compared to. If you if you just log Linus to people, they're like, oh, I've seen that movie already. Well, no, oh, you it's haven't. like a kid movie. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I saw it. It is not. And you know what? Again, like it, it deals with a traumatic situation that most of these movies do not. I mean... Yeah, dude, it, 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 dude, it, that the whole heart of this story—it's it's super dark, dude. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh I remember God. seeing it the first time, like going, "I'm like, oh fuck off, dude!" <laughs> was, you're not ready for it. And the, one of the things that bothered me a lot about the it is, and it, but it fit. It fit for 1999, and most certainly fit for 1958 of somebody like Samantha. And, you know, she's clearly autistic, you know, that's not, she's, you yeah, know, that, spectrum for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but then, so back then people were automatically thinking people were mentally retarded. That's they automatically got that no, slang they, attached they, they, to them. At the block party, when the cat rolls up and goes, oh, the retarded one. <laughs> yeah. That was the, that was the one, uh, I, what I noticed and I noticed, I, I don't know if I'd ever noticed it before. It was when, uh, Kevin Dunn says, don't call her that because he has a twinge of guilt, right? right? There's a moment where you're like, what the fuck's up with him? Right. You know, I mean, when you haven't seen the movie the first time, obviously you're like, oh shit, well, he's not such a shit bag. <laughs> right. But- right. When Tom has his hallucination moment of him having a conversation with Frank. Yeah. Those moments where Dude. he's being a kind of a precog kind of thing. Yeah. Dude, when he runs back into the house. It instantly makes me feel, and then when you again fast forward to when it actually happens, even you feel it in the moment, and you feel it when you get that reveal of it, him realizing you he was seeing something from the future. That it, it just it instantly angered me at the same time why people compare this to the other movie. It right away I'm going, this is. I mean, the other movie we again I love the shit out of, but this is so. It's just its own thing, and I and, it, and yeah, I'm only totally. making the. I'm only referring to people that make the comparison not, and I'm not actually making it myself. Yeah. yeah what, what's yeah. crazy is, um, you know, those, those moments and like, you know, it, it's funny because you're following all these characters, like, you know, even the kid, like, um, mm. his son, right. Who, you know, fucking shoots himself. I mean, dude, it, 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 there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot going on in this movie. The, yeah. The cross up right there, right. The cross up where, where he's seeing the kid with the gun right. And they're crossing up, his dialogue is crossed up when he had Samantha in the house. Yeah. Dude, it's like, it's so, this is not one of those movies you can step into 10 minutes in. You need to see it from the beginning. Absolutely. And it's a movie you can watch more than once too. And you catch something new. And every time, I, we've been, like I said, we've been talking about this, doing this for four plus years. and, And it's been at least that long since I've seen it. And, um, probably I would even say maybe a decade ago since I've seen it. And when you pick up that imprint, I was like, ah, I should probably pick it up. And I didn't, but you know, I forget how fucking great it is. Yeah. But it, you, again, you're not just following Malcolm or following Cole. You're following all these people and how, how well integrated into the story they are, as opposed to people just kind of be on the outside looking in with the other movies that get, they get compared to. 
even though this is Kevin Bacon's movie, it is an ensemble movie. No, totally. And this could totally play on a stage too. That's something else too that I really, it, it, it could play on a stage for sure because they get all those effects practically in camera. You could pull this off on a, in a stage show for sure. Oh yeah, man. There's, there's a lot of great camera work in this movie too. Um, and a lot of that is, has to do with the design of the house because the, the, the entire, all the interior is complete built. They built it in a warehouse, um, you know, (laughs) that had no heat, no air conditioning in it, which, you know, in in Chicago, there's a point where it's okay. And then there's a point where it certainly isn't okay. Uh, but I mean, you know, some of the tracking shots, I mean, things that they're able to do, you know, in one move because they did, they built it and that's why you build sets. The interior of the of their house is fantastic, dude. Oh yeah. I feel like if I walked into a house there, it would very look very similar to the way it looks now. The the three houses that we do see into, there's such different uh, you know, different vibe. Like what I'd never noticed before is like when they go into Kevin Dunn's house, uh, all the religious iconic you know, the Catholic uh, the crosses, the crucifixes, the virgin, all that stuff on the walls. Um, it's it's so crazy because you don't get any of that in the other interiors. And I and I never I guess I just really never noticed it the last 10 times I watched this movie, how different each of those uh, are. And that's, you know, it's, it's a big credit to the art department and the production designer, Nelson Coates, right. who, you know, again, they created like a timeless movie and, and across the board costume designs. Um, I think, the, I feel like the camera, dude, the camera work is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look up, I have to look up the cinematographer because I'm, I know that he's done other things that I've seen. That's Fred Murphy. Yeah. Fred, I just can't think of, uh, when I think of him, th- this is the movie I think of, and I'm sure, but his work in this is impeccable. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, he's done some very visually stunning movies. I mean, and I'm gonna just gonna throw a couple out there considering our audience really is is very familiar with these. He did Freddy versus Jason, so we're just talking about right. that. There you go. That's I knew it. It's fairly recent. Um, but dude, he did three movies that year. Stir of Echoes, and I'm gonna uh, and one of them is Witness Protection, but the other one I wanna mention is October Sky. How's oh, that yeah. for two diversely different movies? Right. Again, what do we say about cinematographers that are chameleons with their work, whatever works yeah. best for the piece. And yeah, very two very different movies and very, very visually stunning too. The, the two standout things in this movie for me, are, there's the tracking shot in the house where they follow bacon from the front door all mm-hmm. the way into the kitchen. But th- I mean, that's yeah. cool. But the two shots, obviously the theater stuff, all the stuff in the theater, right. the floating chair is amazing. But the shot of bacon in the bucket when he calls, uh, you know, when he, when he, when he rings up Douglas the next morning and he's right. like, uh, you know, just the fact that he's really in a bucket, he's up there next to that pole. The camera, there's cameras in the other, in at least two other buckets. There's, right. so there's three buckets going, but dude, three trains, they, they, they timed that. They, they get three trains that go through the, that, go, that travel through the shots. And, and that's, they didn't, you know, they weren't queuing those trains, <laughs> back them up. That's all timing, man. Right. I mean, that, and that, that's, and to have the cameras in the right place to make the most, I mean, I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, this is really, there's, this is a high crafted movie across the board. We talked earlier about how so much of it is in camera. And, and again, this could in a wild way play it on stage, but there's one thing that may not play up on stage. And that was the moment in, in the bathroom where Kevin pulls his tooth. Oof. 
Oof, man, that is such an, a wildly just crazy moment. But it's all in camera. Well, yeah, it is all in camera. And, and, and part of what they did was they, they put the sink on a tilt so they could hide the camera so that they were able to do that. Wow. You know, it, it was part of the design of the uh, of the shot in the bathroom and on the imprint disc. It's funny because I was like, oh, and I was wondering if they're going to talk about it. And certainly Nelson Coates talks about how they tilt, you know, to tilt that to make it work so they could do that in the camera. Because the, the, the shots that are in this are all done practically. There's, you know, any CG is again, it's removal because they, you know, they were using their know-how and their craft to make these things better. I mean, you watch that today, it still works. You, you're, you're not like questioning it. it. It's not like some bad, they didn't, you know, you're not looking at him with a giant gap, but it's, you know, obviously the tooth's black. I mean, the it, it, old, sometimes the old ways are the best ways, right. you know, do you know, that's an homage to, uh, from Polanski's the tenant. Right. And, uh, it's funny cause I didn't know this until today. I didn't realize that Ileana Douglas's grandfather is in the tenant. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> right? I mean, who knew? I mean, I didn't know that. But uh, like I said, this imprint disc is loaded with great stuff. Another really awesome uh, sort of, you know, little, if you're watching. Uh, so when Samantha, right? The other babysitter? Is there? No, Debbie, right? Debbie, Debbie the, Debbie's the sister, right? Yeah. yeah. When Debbie shows up, then she's sitting there reading a book. You know what she's reading? She's reading The Shrinking Man by Richard Nice. That's the book she's reading when she hears, um, you know, when she hears Jake having his conversation upstairs with uh, Samantha. I wanted to to add to the the tooth pulling scene. There's some sleight of hand going on, too, along with the, the, the special rigging that they were doing. So he so Kevin had a they blacked out his real tooth. Yep. And then they had a fake tooth. The, that he's pulling at the same time he's palming it. So there's there's a sleight of hand going on by Kevin himself to hide his actual tooth before he drops it into the sink. And then he has all the blood on his face. And when they pan the camera down to the sink to show the tooth, somebody on set wipes away all the blood off of his face yep. and they pull the camera back in it. it. I would have thought they just did a whip pan to a new shot, but no, it's all nope. one shot. Fucking clever, dude. God, they do. They do a very similar thing uh, when when Katie Irby is in the bathroom, right? When she when Maggie's like she's getting ready to take the bath, and yes. she leans into the mirror and she leans back, and you see Jennifer Morrison in the reflection. Then she just leans forward, and she leans back, and she's gone. Right, and it's and she's and she's not. You can tell she's not hiding behind no. the, the shower curtain because there's, there's not enough room, and you would still see her if she was. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, you know, they got really creative and, you know, uh, like, again, there's a lot of thought put into this, you know, these shots to make these things work and, and to make them work in a way that it's easy for I think the reason this movie seems to not age or not become of it is because <laughs> yes, yes. It, it, it's really because it's real. It's, it's what right. we would see. And like, if, you know, how many times have you seen something weird in your bat and you're like, what the hell is that? Right. But the, the, our eye accepts these things as real because it's what we see all day long. It's right. not like, you know, we're, I, sometimes I feel like when you're looking at CGI, it just doesn't meld because your eyes are like, that's not real. I'm look, I look at real shit all day long and that's not real. It doesn't matter how good it is or how pixelated or, you know, whatever. I mean, I know Indiana Jones is fucking old. I'm looking at him. And I know that's, you know, I know that's a mask. I do wear a mask, you know, right. 
in a lot of those moments, like the moment where he's standing there and he's tranced, right? And he's, he, you know, we're seeing him in the house when it was under construction and Irby comes in and he's just sort of there and he's pointing and she reaches in and she, you know, I mean, I thought all that was really well done. Uh, And again, old school tricks. It's, it's not a, you know, there's not a three, you know, it's not a 360 degree, it's not a 360 uh, green screen environment that they're, they're doing it in. You know, they use old film tricks, you know, which helps sell the ghost story of this whole thing. We've done recent episodes where we've discussed the, you know, the, the 2000s CG ruining movies that even if this yeah. movie got made around that time, these are the same techniques they would have done. And it still would have felt, you could have done this movie 30 years ago and it would yeah, have worked. Totally. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's funny because they mentioned one of the movies that uh, like they, they had screenings, they, they, the cast and kept, they watched things together. Ghost Story. The Tenant, and uh, God, what was the third one? Again, I, I mean, I feel like we probably kind of knew that because when we watched Ghost Story, we talked a little bit about Stereo Echoes. When we watch, you know, and when I've seen things, you know, The Tenant is another movie. I think when I saw Stereo Echoes originally, I thought about The Tenant. Right. But like, I want to say Great Minds Think Alike, but I'm just, the way that they... Uh, what they drew inspiration from are all movies that we love. So there's no reason I wouldn't love this movie (laughs) is what I've realized. (laughs) Right. Again, this is one of those movies we've talked about before where we just go at it. And because there's so much to love about it, we just go and it's over. It's one of those movies too, that I don't think, even though we've been pretty good about not like pointing at anything particularly. and, And, but we did say enough that I don't think we ruin a movie because it's so experiential. This is one of the reasons why yeah, I felt totally. like it, it, it could work as, as a stage situation because it really feels like you're very involved in it. And I think that moment, because of the hypnosis scene is there so early in the movie that you you instantly connect with with Tom for the rest of the way. And even when he starts losing his mind, tearing the fuck out of oh. the house... By the way, I love how he's just on the phone, just kind of bullshitting. I'm all good. Things are good. I'm back to normal. And they come back and we're now seeing something right. that's gone way beyond him cracking open the foundation. Downstairs. Oh, dude. Like, yeah, the scope of the, what he had done in the few hours that she was gone is in, out of control. <laughs> it's so wild. Anyway, this movie is tremendous. I, I don't think David Kep has ever failed me when it comes to being in the director's chair because he knows what he wants because he's written the movie. He knows exactly as he's writing it, what he's going to do when he's sitting on set. And for a movie that is now 24 years old, uh, this movie's going to play the same way in 24 more years. It's going to play exactly the same way. Yeah, man. It's effective, wonderfully performed, wonderfully constructed, wonderfully edited. Everything about it is just Again, for the most part, it's a timeless movie. Yeah, yeah. Pick up that imprint disc because I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm super, super disappointed that I haven't picked it up yet. I'm gonna have to. I might have to go third party, right? Yeah. It, well, it's no. You can get it from imprint. It's on sale right now. It's oh, uh, oh good. So there you go. It, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's thirty four ninety five Aussie. So it's like seventeen bucks or something. But yeah. uh, there's a sale. It's on sale right now. It's uh, imprint collection number ninety one. It came out in November of. 2021. Crazy. I mean, it's funny. Like, I feel like I had it on my shelf for years. I know. Cause I think you had to open it fresh to watch it for I this, did. right? I, yeah, yeah. It's been sitting, you know, it's been <laughs> sitting here unopened since, uh, 
now you know why he's had a moratorium on buying yeah. anything for 2023. Yeah, <laughs> just go outside and open things. It's like just like going to the store. So there you go. Check it out. Stir of Echoes. It's, uh, it's playing on a few of the free services, but really I think you're doing yourself a disservice by not picking up this imprint disc yeah. because I haven't even seen it. All I'm going based on is what you've told me off camera, you know, away from the mic and everything. So yeah, I'm going to have to pick it up because as soon as the movie was over, I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. I, 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 I just got done watch it, but I'm going to go ahead and buy the disc. I don't do that a lot, but definitely going to have to do that with this. Yeah, man. I mean, and the, the funny thing is, it's a it's a brisk movie, man. It moves. It's you know, and I think it's like an hour and forty minutes, and then you know, then it's like, then it's over, and you're not you don't feel cheated. You're like, holy shit! Yeah, yeah. I've watched it a couple times in the last week. You know, the movie whole, and then a couple, you know, all those extras and getting into all that stuff is just wild. It's 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 definitely a keeper. Groovy. So if you want to follow us on the socials, it's at Karate Pod. On X slash Twitter, Letterboxd, and Insta. You can follow Corey on Instagram at Culprit97 and on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. And you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash karate pod. If you like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll at 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Tom Witzke at Letterboxd.com. That's Tom Witzke. Letterboxd. Or maybe it's Jake Witzke. I don't know. Hmm.